From the sunny shores of almost Marina Del Rey, it's the Couch Slouch Podcast. Today, Summer Olympics are sidelined. Steve Ballmer reaches deep into his pockets. Rich New Yorkers flee coronavirus, and strippers find a new source of income. And now, direct from the Chesterfield, with the co-host Daisy McAllahan. Here is the apocalyptically appalled couch slouch himself, Norman Chad. And Rich, why wouldn't I be apocalyptically appalled? Yeah. Everyone, everyone semi-quarantined is out walking with their kids or dogs, which is fine by me. But everyone in my neighborhood has those double baby strollers. Oh, now, the yeah. double baby strollers themselves don't upset me that much. Okay. But the babies in those strollers are always like three and five years old. Oh, are you kidding me? These babies are big enough to push the stroller themselves. <laughs> Jeez, get out and walk. Oh, God. Well, you're not. Are you in? Well, I guess everything in, in that part of the, uh, the Southland would be considered upscale are these particularly uh privileged uh sort of the equivalent of the upper east side little princes in new york yes they are we're, we're i'm in the middle class to the upper middle class yeah so it's a large uh, suburban neighborhood within los angeles where every home is a million dollars you know mine is is all of 1300 square feet and uh, a younger group uh the silicon peach group came in when uh, Google, Amazon, YouTube moved into the neighborhood next door at Playa del Vista. All these young families moved in. Uh, they would be the young princes and princesses God. of uh, the Upper East Side with a nanny. And they come out <laughs> with their strollers and sometimes with their nannies who are pushing the strollers while they're on their cell phone, which is hilarious. Uh, that's the neighborhood I live in. I, uh, let me do a little aside here because it reminded me of, are these the kind of mothers that kind of ask permission of their kids rather than tell them something. Okay, we're going to go over here now, Jason, okay? Uh, you are again correct. I, yeah. I, I believe if they were going to move, the kid would have to sign off on the property <laughs> before they would say, okay, it's good to move to this 3,000-square-foot uh, home. 2000, 2001, I'm in a Starbucks, 74th and 3rd Avenue in New York, the heart of the Upper East Side, where I lived, in the crappiest place in the nicest neighborhood, three stories above a walk-up in one of those, you know, 150-year-old walk-up buildings. I'm in the line, and there's a and there's a kid, a little prince, who's about five, six, and his mom, and he's he's just whining, I want the donut, I want the donut, and he's like shoving me in the in the leg, and... And the mom is saying, you know, wait, wait your turn, Justin. Wait your turn, okay? I want a donut. I want a donut. And I look in the case, and there's one donut left. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to have. But when they asked me, <laughs> I'll take that donut. Kid looked up to me like I'd slugged him. <laughs> and it was like the greatest bit of satisfaction I had and something to make me realize after four years, it was time to get out of New York. Uh, yes, but I'm glad you did your own bit of parenting without you being the parent of that little spoiled brat. Tough love, baby. So the Summer Olympics uh, did the unthinkable. Uh, IOC decided there will be no Olympics this summer, postponing the Games because of coronavirus. Yeah, this is amazing. Uh, it was expected. The Olympic Games, first of all, have only been canceled uh, due to World War, 1916, 1940, 1944. This is not a cancellation. This is a postponement, but this is massive. 
uh, for the Olympics, for the athletes, for NBC. Uh, NBC only has two properties right now, pretty much, uh, the Olympics and The Voice. Uh, <laughs> actually, they have America's Got Talent also, but they don't have much. And this summer, just imagine if they could get the Olympics underway in July when no other sport was going to be around. The Olympic viewership, people are just, you know, they're a Jones for something. Can you imagine what the Olympic viewership would have been this July yeah. if the Olympics went off for NBC? But how many people come back from Japan with a coronavirus spread around the world in another you know, second, if not third wave by then? Oh, no. No, they made the right decision. But yeah. for NBC, I mean, NBC gets 25 million viewers a night uh, for the last Olympics. NBC pays about a billion dollars per Olympics right now. A billion dollars. So this would have, this is just an incredible programming hole for them in the summer. Uh, and what, what I would suggest for them to do, Rich, is... In the summer, there's reruns anyway. So I would bring back must-see TV when NBC was at its its boldest and brightest in the in the, the 1980s and into the 1990s. So they had that block on Thursday nights. I would run that block, uh, the Cosby Show, without the Cosby Show. No more Cosby <laughs> Show. I, we'll replace the Cosby Show at this point, unfortunately, which was yeah. a terrific show. But they, when, when they were at their best, they had a block of the Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, and Night Court. Night Court being the weakest of those four, but I would replace the Cosby show with either Friends, which I hate, or Frasier. Friends was more popular. Hey, what, what about would you Seinfeld? Oh, I'm sorry. If we're gonna move it <laughs> if we're gonna move to the late nineties into the two thousands, then you no. definitely but Seinfeld actually has been rerun ad nauseum yeah. across the world over the last ten years. So I would go back to seeing those old cheers, those old family ties, those old I don't think I don't like Friends, Friends or Frasers, and I bet you they'd get pretty decent ratings without any yeah. additional production costs. And Seinfeld, actually, to be uh, honest, uh, left, last episode was in '98 or '99. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was in '98 yeah. or '99. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was also the same night Frank Sinatra died. Are you? God, he died in '98 or '99. I thought Seinfeld went for eleven or twelve seasons and started. Went, like in around 1990 or 91. Went, uh, I guess you're right. Uh, I guess. It went nine seasons. It could have gone okay. 15. Jerry said, no, no, we've done everything we're going to do. We're going to leave you wanting more. And uh, why would I want to continue doing this? I already have a billion dollars. <laughs> if he's got a billion dollars, he could buy the Olympic rights. There you uh, go. But, but NBC, so for, for as far as the Olympics go, uh, Rich, it's 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 a massive undertaking to reschedule them. Yeah. They, they, it'll take them weeks and weeks. You're talking about 25 or 30 sports. Uh, you got housing, you got venues, you got food services, you got security, you got vendors, you got flights. I mean, change yeah. fees alone will kill your budget on the flights. It's <laughs> just a massive jigsaw puzzle. Every piece must fit. You can't just say, "Well, every, we're all good with everything except for swimming." Uh, swimming doesn't work that week. Well, you just don't drop swimming. Yeah. So it's just it's just a massive uh, thing for them to do. They'll probably do it again next summer. It could be earlier. Uh, and I feel for the athletes. Yeah. On the uh, other hand, you know, all those venues that have been built are sitting there. They're ready to go. They just have to keep dusting them and, and keeping them clean and make sure squatters don't show up. And they're they're good to go there. Uh, mo again, most of that's actually another problem with the Olympics is they keep finding cities in which you'd have to build all the new venues again and again and again. Uh, that's why they should go back to to repeat cities who have done it. I would go to an Olympics which is just hosted by two or three places, yeah. So you wouldn't have this incredible bill on the locality. 
but as I was mentioned, the athletes I feel really sorry for. Uh, you know, it, it's one thing if you postpone or cancel the Fourth of July or Thanksgiving or New Year's Eve. You never do that, but you got another one coming up next year. Yeah. The Olympic are once every four years. And for many athletes, it's the only time they'll get to that level. So you wipe out the Olympics, or even if you postpone it for a year, that's like a lifelong dream that could just go away in a heartbeat. Yeah, they're just not going to be ready the next year. Or some other kid who would not have been ready this year is going to be ready next year and eclipse them in the trials or in, in, in the thing. The, the timing is so precise for those athletes that it's going to mess things up. But I'm glad they're going to at least think about holding it even if it's a year late, because I like uh, a year late makes sense. And by the way, they still will be called uh, the 2020 yeah. Olympics. I'm told 2021 edition. Uh, but they Monday might. Night Football does that. Monday Night Football Thursday Night Edition. They still will be the 2020 yeah. games, even when they're participated in next year. There are 800 warehouses full of shirts already printed. No, they're not going to throw those away. So uh, Steve Ballmer, the former CEO of Microsoft, owner of the NBA's Los Angeles Clippers. Now has or will have a new home for his team. After all kinds of legal suits and countersuits and all that, he found his way out cold hard cash. Yeah, this is uh, this is interesting. Uh, and cold hard cash usually carries the day. Uh, in fact, which I would call this is this is money talks bullshit walks, which is actually the short version of the old expression: money talks bullshit takes a long walk on a short pier. Uh, Steve. <laughs> Bomber figured a way out of this conundrum. Uh, and, and what he's done here is he wanted to build a new arena in Inglewood, California. Uh, Madison Square Garden Network owns the old fabulous forum in Inglewood, California, James Dolan and company. They are trying to build the new Clippers arena less than a mile away from the forum. MSG embroiled in a, a bunch of legal action against Balmer to try to stop it and the city of Inglewood to try to stop it, claiming that they had been misled and blah, 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 blah. And uh, this was going to be a problem. This was holding up the Clippers arena situation. So Balmer finally said, let us write you a check. Yeah. Uh, would $400 million do? <laughs> and MSG, which bought that thing for about $70 million, said, yeah, I think so. Indeed. He just wrote the check to James Dolan, who took that profit, and uh, he ended the legal battle for $400 bucks, and they will build that arena uh, less than a mile from the forum, which Steve Ballmer now owns, and he may, he may tear it down, which reminds me of how America works. I get tired of it. Yeah. Uh, we often see mergers, and some of the mergers are simply done to buy out your competition and close them. Uh, which reminds me of the Walmart mode. The Walmart mode is to go into a small town and do what we call predatory pricing. They go into a small town. They underprice the local five and dime and department store. They run the five and dime and department store out of business. And then after they run them out of business, they slowly ri raise their prices. I'm not making this up. It's obviously, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's been in many books. They teach at uh, the Wharton School, don't they? They do. That's the way to go. It's actually against the law, but Walmart's made. So business people I, are those, those the laws. There's kind of suggestions. Uh, so Steve Palmer, I, I give him credit. It's good to be king. Uh, he is worth fifty-two billion dollars, so he could afford to yeah. write a four hundred million dollar check. He's the sixteenth richest person in the world, 
And I also give credit to this uh, man who I would vote out of office tomorrow if I could, which is James Butts Jr., the mayor of Inglewood. Uh, he's the magician, Rich. Uh, yeah. This is a city. Inglewood, Inglewood uh, is a city with contracting uh, corruption, with infrastructure issues, with underperforming school system. And yet it somehow has been able to accommodate and and put together deals for two massive stadium arenas in the last five years. Uh, th- uh, he, he got the, 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 the football stadium done for the Rams and the Chargers uh, with another one of the yeah. actually go back to the Walmart fortune to, uh, with the uh, the husband of the uh, the Walton family the Walton daughter who runs the, who's the uh, Stan Kroenke who is the owner of the Rams so he put together that thing in a heartbeat he put together the Clippers thing in a heartbeat this guy turned red tape the mayor of of Inglewood turned red tape into green lights everywhere. He yeah. greenlit everything, you know, just ran through environmental studies, public discussion, and he got these two mega deals done in his town, which is amazing. So he's either, again, public elected official of the year <laughs> or scam artist of the year, and I go with the, the latter. Yeah, I was going to say, all this is, of course, is going to make Inglewood one of the most desirable places in the world to live because the schools will be wonderful. All the, the hideous, horrible places you can barely walk in the daytime will be cleaned up, and it'll be it'll be just like Atlantic City with gambling and all that. No, wait a minute. That's not going to work. quite work. Yeah. Think about uh, Balmer, uh, you know, $52 million. When he bought the Clippers for two billion, rather uh, fifty-two with a B, two with a B, which was twice what anybody had paid for a team, he said at the time, "You know, I got fifty billion. What am I going to do with all that before I die?" So yeah, I can I can do two. And uh, a word finally to all my friends in Seattle who still had some sort of flicker of thought that Balmer might want to move the Clippers to Seattle. Come on, you're you were stupid then. You're stupid now. <laughs> L.A. is the number two market. Seattle is the number 12 market or 13, depending on the uh, on which thing you look at. No, it was never going to happen. Balmer's not a Seattle guy anyway. He's from someplace back east and moved to Seattle from Microsoft. He, I imagine, likes living in a mansion in Beverly Hills or, or uh, Brentwood or wherever the heck he lives as much as he loved living in Medina or, or one of those beautiful suburbs in Seattle or Mercer Island, wherever he lived. L.A. is better. I have to say, as a lifelong Northwesterner, living in L.A. and the South is better than living in the sunshine of Seattle, the liquid sunshine. All right, I got to I got to calm down now. Let's move on. Uh, but you're but you're right. The Seattle people were wrong. Uh, they have enough Starbucks that they can just fill up every day and watch the Clippers on TV. Yeah, exactly. So uh, credit where credit is due to a guy named Christopher Cameron, a reporter for the New York Post. He just did this story about wealthy Manhattanites fleeing the city for their summer homes to escape coronavirus, and he led with this limerick. There once was a man in Nantucket who told NYC it could suck it for COVID-19, a retreat more serene. Now his hospital bed is a bucket. (laughs) Touche to Christopher Cameron. That was very well done. This is because Nantucket Island, full-time population 17,000, summer population 50,000, telling the super rich to not come to their island places if they're thinking about escaping corona. Nantucket Island is what's called a medical desert. One hospital, 17 beds, three ventilators, no ICU. Apparently the 
Same thing's happening on uh, Long Island in New York. There's a few more hospitals there, but uh, it's kind of overwhelming the locals who are used to having the winter to themselves. Yeah, this is a problem. And we're talking about the rich, again, reaching into their pockets and trying to make sure that since their pockets are full, that they can uh, sort of pay their way out of coronavirus. It's just not, uh, you mentioned what what we're talking about, uh, Nantucket. We're talking about uh, the Hamptons. The Hamptons, the Jersey Jersey Shore, and the Catskills. These are five or six places that rich New Yorkers are trying to flee to, where they have second homes. They're emptying out grocery stores. And the locals, the full-time locals, the year-round locals, are saying, take your double baby strollers back to Manhattan. (laughs) We don't want your stinking cash. And here, you can have a chocolate donut for Starbucks on the way for your five-year-old. So uh, the uh, the uh, New York Times reports, by the way, that uh, so the uh, the mayor of uh, I'm sorry, the, the Massachusetts governor has declared Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard no go zones. So no outsiders. The uh, Florida, the governor of Florida. Uh, uh, and again, going down the East Coast, there's other places that people have second homes uh, like uh, the Myrtle Beach area yeah. or uh, the Palm Outer Beach. Banks of North Carolina yeah. uh, or Palm Beach. So the Florida governor has ordered anyone who has traveled from New York in the past three weeks to immediately quarantine themselves for 14 days. Uh, the North Carolina Outer Banks have barred n- non-residents. So they're just pretty much, they're putting, you know, essentially figurative gates around their community, but you can't do that. They can come if they want, and they're coming. Oh, yeah. Why would you not? Because, you know, when you're that kind of money, these are just merely suggestions, not laws or orders. Uh, and by the way, one of the so one of the suggestions from one of the Catskills residents I read on Facebook, and I'm cleaning this up. I won't use the profanity that she used. <laughs> she she said to the New Yorkers, the only cases in Greene County were brought here from downstate people. So stay down there. Just because you have a second home up here doesn't mean you have the right to put us at risk. Actually, just because they do have a second home up there, they do have the right to put you at risk. But they really <laughs> they, they they really shouldn't. And they you really shouldn't at all. You can use all the language because you already said shit earlier in the thing, so we put an E on the oh. we flag it with an E, and uh, there you go. So it's our first, our third show is our first. We're working blue, as uh, Red Skelton well, would say. <laughs> let me work white for a second and hey, tell yeah, you whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay. This is a different, this oh. is a different white oh, is okay. right. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm going to suggest to the New Yorkers that if they're looking for the most coronavirus spot on earth, and this is a no-brainer, Antarctica, uh, which, by the way, I just found out is colder than the Arctic. I would have guessed it was the Arctic, but for scientific reasons I can't explain, which apparently you can, going, oh, no, it's not. uh, It's colder than the Arctic, but that's where I would suggest to go. And, in fact, right now is the time to go. North Antarctica, last month, recorded its highest temperature uh, ever at 69 degrees Fahrenheit. So go on down there, and don't forget your double baby strollers. (laughs) How about a quick feel-good story uh, about coronavirus and all that? There was a class in uh, communications at the University of Tennessee, the teacher uh, teaching online, 25 students on Zoom, all in their little boxes. And then all of a sudden, uh, one box appeared with somebody else, and the teacher had to do a little admonishment. Uh, Mr. Thompson, I think you were late for class. I'm sorry, Dr. Haas. uh, It's been a while. It's been at least since 1996. Well, um, you know, if you were here, I'd be making you run the stadium steps for being late. (laughs) 
I understand. Well, these these are uh, these are unique circumstances. I'm sure this is the first uh, virtual Zoom class. You've that, of course, if you recognize the voice from any kind of uh, football over the last two decades, is. Uh, I don't know if he's an alum or not. Maybe he's going back to try to finish his degree. Peyton Manning at the University of Tennessee via Zoom. Uh, he is an alum. Uh, I'd like to see the course load he had, but he is an alum. And, I, you know, that was a nice moment, Rich. And I got to watch some of that uh, online earlier. And uh, so Zoom, so you saw Peyton, uh, like one of the 25 boxes there with the students, along with his old professor, communication professor. And when Peyton was talking, if you looked at the other tw- at the, the other 25 students, they had a blank look on their face. Yeah. Either A, they, they did not know who he was, which I think they did. Or B, they were just so stunned it was Peyton Manning. And then I thought maybe C, they kept expecting him to maybe sell them something eventually. Like he's there to say, <laughs> what, what is he? Uh, get some Papa John's, buy some Nationwide. Yeah. Uh, but that was a nice moment uh, for, for, for his professor, John Haas, to bring him back. And uh, it was it was delightful to watch. I thought, well, maybe Peyton's old enough now he's taken over for William Devane and going to sell us some gold. <laughs> he's capable. He's a great salesman. <laughs> so speaking of feel-good stories, you have a couple about uh, strippers. Yeah, strippers could be feel-good stories. Uh, Literally. And so, uh, thank you, ba-boom. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, one personal story, one topical story. Topical uh, is the what you want to talk about with strippers and not anything deeper. Well, no, the, the, the personal story is nothing deeper, and the topical story, again, is nothing deeper. Again, you're going that route. I, uh, you inspire me. So let's start personal because I, I every summer uh, when I do the World Series of Poker broadcast for ESPN, I spend about six weeks in Las Vegas. And uh, several summers ago, my wife, who spends some of the time there, said to me one night, uh, why don't we go to a strip club? I went, really? Uh, you know, I mean, most guys aren't going to turn down a strip club trip. I'm not really big on strip clubs. I've gone for three or four bachelor parties. But I said, OK. So I looked one up. I was close to where we were staying in our hotel because, you know, you don't want to go through traffic. Uh, to get to a strip club in Las Vegas. <laughs> and I found one, uh, you know, about a half a mile away off Spring Mountain Road. And we went there and it was really skanky and it was dirty and it was small and it was dank and you smelled you smelled liquor and you smelled cigarettes. And as soon as we sat down in the booth, two, two of the dancers came up to us and they were trying to work us. Do you want a lap dance? Yeah. Do you want this? And it just, it just didn't feel right. We ordered one drink each and then we got out of there in a heartbeat. And I mentioned to a friend of mine that I'd done that and they went, what, what, club did you go to and i said the name of it they said they never heard of it they said it was that a one pole club i go oh uh i said you know now you mentioned it it was a one pole club there was only one strip pole in there go that's stupid he tells me five or six of the bigger strip clubs to go to because you want to go to one of these places oh okay so i tell my wife and we decided that between the rio where we did the world series of poker and our hotel along industrial road which is no longer industrial road what's it sammy uh, davis jr Sammy Davis Jr. There was the Sapphire, which was the billed as the world's yeah. largest gentleman's club. And I passed it twice a day, sometimes more. And it had a massive parking lot. So one night we went by there. And when we went by there, we were shocked. They had Hollywood lights. Those, those spotlights you have on like opening night of a movie, uh, opening night of a nightclub. And their parking lot, which is like the size of a football field, was almost full. I couldn't believe it. And we said, well, I guess we can go in. We should. I don't want to be that crowded. So we park. We have to walk a long way to the front entrance. We notice that there's just a huge crowd near the front entrance. And as we're approaching that huge crowd, a man comes up to me. and goes, oh, Mr. Chad, it's so delightful that you came tonight. Follow me. Oh, okay. My wife looks at me. How many times have you been here? <laughs> I, go, I go, 
Tony, I've never been here in my life. And indeed, he takes us to the left side of the club. It's a gated off area. It has a red carpet. He brings us through. As I walk in, I see big billboards for Doyle Brunson's poker room. He Doyle Brunson, one of the iconic figures of poker, was starting an online poker room. This was opening night. This was the only strip club I could have walked to in America where I would have been recognized. Wow. We walk in to the world's largest strip club. We get we get seated at a booth above like a three pole room. They had like twenty five poles in this place. Oh yeah, we're we're elevated slightly. My my wife now calls it the Tony Soprano booth because people kept coming up to us to kiss my ring. Oh, Mister Chad, so nice <laughs> for you to be here. Oh, Mister Chadford, they kept bringing us hors d'oeuvres and food. Wow. It was the nicest strip strip club in history, and of course, right now because of current uh, social distancing. Rules put in in Nevada as in Nevada as well as most of the country. It's not operating, which brings us to our topical story, Rich. Okay. All right, and our topical story should be headlined "Boober Eats," and it's headlined. <laughs> it's not headlined that because I made that up, because in Portland, Oregon, where you have history, yes, there's a strip club club, the Lucky Devil Lounge. And uh, their very innovative owner, when they had to shut their doors, Sean Boulder decided that he would start something called Boober Eats to compete with Uber Eats. His dancers deliver pub fare. So you get a mostly topless stripper coming to your front door wearing booty shorts, delivering your food. And as one local reporter, Samantha Swindler, wrote about the uh, owner of this operation, so while the rest of Portland was hoarding toilet paper and pasta, he bought out one local store's stock of pasties. Each stripper <laughs> has the pasties on. They deliver the food for $30. Tips are appreciated. And the dancers, Rich, they arrive with a bodyguard to make sure that no customer gets you know, a little overzealous when you give them their yeah, order. I got your social distancing right here, baby. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty, that's, I gotta tell you, um, I don't know if any other places tried that, but that's pretty innovative. Uh, yeah. assuming it's all above board. It hasn't been shut down. He's got 25 dancers who have complained only that their pay has been cut severely. Uh, obviously lap dances pay a lot better than food delivery. Uh, mm. they're used to making yeah. hundreds of dollars a night and unless any funny baloney is going on, they're not making hundred dollars a night now. Uh, dropping off this food between 7 p.m. and 1 o'clock in the morning. No, 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 no. That's uh, Portland at one time had uh, the most strip clubs per capita of just about any place. I would have, find that hard to believe now that I live in Las Vegas, which is about the same population as the Portland area, 2.2 million. And, uh, yeah, we have a few here of, of varying quality, as as you found out. I think I was in Sapphire once. Uh, uh, my go-to the last few years, thanks to a, a patron who has uh, made my whole podcast emperor, empire, has been uh, Crazy Horse 3, down right, literally across the street now from the Raiders' new stadium. And uh, when we're gambling and, and carrying on up at the win, he makes a call and the van shows up. Tommy Van is the guy's name. <laughs> and, you know, he's got one of those 10 or 12-place uh, uh, vans in there with a pole and uh, takes us right on down. And Whisks uh, is in that back door. If Tommy Van is actually his given name, I guess he was fated to do what he's doing. Yes. That's got to be a great, that's, that's a great stage name, a great stage name for him to come up for to take you to Crazy Horse Three. That is three. Yeah, because that's the Roman numerals too, right? Hey, oh yeah, one one one. 
Uh, that's very classy. That's a classy <laughs> strip club. Yes, it is. With Roman numerals. Ah, <sighs> good times. Time now for the Dollar Twenty Five Ask the Slouch Cash Giveaway. Two Couch Slouch followers have bagged the big bucks this week. First, it's Mark Patterson of Washington D.C. who asks. Should Miami Marlins fans get some kind of award for practicing social distancing years before COVID-19 hit? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Patterson has the right idea. Uh, for those of you not familiar with the Miami Marlins, uh, that is an empty stadium. Oh. And in fact, the, the last two years, they have been last in Major League Baseball uh, in attendance. They average slightly over 10,000 a game. 10, like a Dodger Stadium gets 50,000 a game. They are last at 10,000 a game in Miami the last two years. And the only team that is close to them franchise wise is the Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa team averages 14,000 a game. Uh, so, Florida, great weather. Nobody wants to go to see bad baseball, apparently. Uh, I was there. In uh, 2012, the inaugural season of that park, and uh, we would go down to Miami Beach for like a three or four day weekend, at least once a year. And usually in the dead of August when the heat is on. But this time we went in March. It was Passover and we're at the Fontainebleau, which had special Passover rooms. And anyway, that's the side. So the last day we said, oh, let's go to the park. The park had been open two weeks, literally a two week old ballpark. On a Sunday, beautiful home opening weekend or the the first weekend of the second weekend of the season, yeah, fifteen, seventeen thousand at the brand new damn park when they still had the aquarium behind home plate and that weird ass shark jumping up and down in left center. It was just horrible. So you're telling me Major League, Mr. Patterson's right. Major League Baseball didn't have to cancel its whole schedule. They just should have kept Mar Marlins games, and people could have stayed easily six feet away from each other yeah. during any Mar Marlins game. That's, that's pretty good. All right. The second winner today is Doc Scoville of Fairfax, Virginia, who asks, as part of pandemic response, the governor of Virginia has ordered closure of all businesses that do not provide essential services. Under this order, beer retailers remain open, but bowling alleys are closed. Can you explain this discrepancy? Oh, Doc Scoville is a man after my heart. Where is he from? Fairfax, uh, Virginia. Okay. You should be mayor of Fairfax. Okay, it's just simple. You're, you're correct. For instance, you cannot bowl at a beer re re retailer or a liquor store. Let's call it a liquor store. You can't yeah. bowl at a liquor store, but you can bowl and drink beer and liquor at a bowling alley. So... Close the liquor stores, keep the bowling alley open. You can keep social distancing. You know, there's essentially two two lanes next to yeah. each other. Just have one of those lanes operate so every other lane operates. Everyone's six feet away from each other. Everyone's drinking beer and everyone's bowling. The greatest thing in the world. Oh, I have to send Doc Schofield more than a dollar twenty-five. Thank oh, you, Doc. Man. What are the liquor stores in California open? Yes, they are. Uh, I thought they would be closed. Uh, but indeed they fall under, and actually wow. they sell other items. They sell food items too, but they fall under the grocery store mini mart thing. Okay. So they are open and here, doing business here in Nevada. The liquor only standalone stores, Lee's and total are closed. But oh, so those are closed, there are, but there are, there's liquor aisles in the grocery stores that are open. Can your restaurants bring, uh, to go cocktails? which they just started here? As of about two hours before we recorded uh, this podcast, 
the city of Las Vegas anyway. I don't know about the rest of the state, but the city of Las Vegas adjusted to allow them to serve cocktails in go cups for the, the curbside pickup. You could do bottled beer and wine, but now you can, you know, they can somehow make you a margarita and put it in a cup with a with a lid on it and hand you that through your car door window. Then why are you empty handed right now? <laughs> Coffee this time. I got to say, since I lived here, and especially since all this has begun, I'm like drinking every day. And I never was that kind of guy. I would go two, three weeks without alcohol sometimes, not because I'm some sort of Mormon. It just, it was just never part of my life. I like it at special occasions. Now I'm drinking every day. Every day is a special occasion now, I guess, because I've survived <laughs> another day and haven't been succumbed to the plague. All right, you've convinced me. I'll uh, go to every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have a question, you want to win a cool $1.25, send in that question, and here's the address with no humor involved. Ask the slouch at AOL.com. Final thoughts, Norman? Uh, yeah, Rich. Uh, you know, we're all isolated. We're alone. We're lonely. So it's time to stop brooding and start talking again. I mean talking, not texting. Get on your smartphone and make a phone call. That's right, a phone call. An old-fashioned phone call on your phone. Your phone was originally invented for phone calls, so please give your Aunt Matilda a call. Hmm. My Aunt Matilda's dead. <laughs> oh, you're a real Debbie Downer. <laughs> I have an Aunt Dorothy. I'll call her. How about that? That's fine. Oh, thank you. Okay, we'll be back again sometime next week. In the meantime, please tell your friends, your enemies, strangers on the street from a discreet six feet away to find and subscribe to the Couch Slouch podcast on iTunes and every other major podcast platform. That is it for now. As always, catch the Couch Slouch column in great newspapers across the nation, including the Washington Post. Also, you can find me on Twitter at Norman Chad and check out the Norman Chad YouTube channel. The Couch Slouch podcast is a production of Utter Clarity, which also produces That's Gold with Steve Heitner. Buy now and save for all your podcast needs at utterclarity.fm. Call your Aunt Matilda or your Aunt Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs>